0: Listener supported.
1: WNYC Studios.
2: These plays are about incest, family disputes, Jews taking knives to Christians, black men marrying white women. These are America's worst nightmares. So why choose these plays and call them canonical?
3: I'd be perfectly happy if we had a performance hiatus for Othello, Taming of the Shrew, and Merchant of Venice. Those plays are toxic, even though every theater company thinks that they are going to present a feminist, pro-Black, pro-Jewish production.
4: I'm Vincent Cunningham, staff writer at The New Yorker. This is Free Shakespeare on the Radio from WNYC in collaboration with The Public Theater. For those of you who've been with us for all four nights, thank you. And if you haven't, you can catch up at WNYC.org Shakespeare. Tonight, we listen to the final episode of Richard II. After the play, we'll talk with Andre Holland, our Richard. But first, we're going to spend some time thinking about the relevance of Shakespeare today with the help of our guides, Jim Shapiro from Columbia University and Ayana Thompson from Arizona State University. Now, to be clear, Ayana, who's the one that you heard calling for the performance hiatus, she thinks that these plays should still be read and taught. She just doesn't want to see them put up and performed for a while.
3: Until we get to a different place in our society about what we can talk about, what we can
4: face. And for Ayana, it's Shakespeare who can actually help that conversation.
3: Shakespeare, I think, is one of the best vehicles to talk about race to talk about power structures. Mm. The issues that we often think of as modern issues are actually pre-modern ones that have often 500-year legacies, if not 400-year legacies, so.
4: Yeah, I think when people say that, that race is modern, they say it as a product of their optimism. They say it's pretty recent and therefore we can roll it back. It's much older.
3: The legs are longer, You know, we're in a moment now where people are talking finally about systemic and institutional racism. And I would just say
4: those systems and institutions are a lot older than people want to assume. Take Shakespeare's earliest tragedy, Titus Andronicus, which she says has history's first Black Power speech.
3: Written by a white man to be performed by a white actor in blackface, it is still the first Black Power speech in which he denigrates whiteness and lists why Blackness is better than it over and over and over again. Shakespeare race and performance is complicated. Right. I don't want to paint, like, this glorious portrait of kind of, even though it was white men in blackface, there were progressive plays or anything like that. No, that's not the portrait. It's complicated.
4: You know, I think that almost maybe despite ourselves, Americans are still very obsessed with Shakespeare. We still care a lot. what is is it something about us? Is it something about him or what's the what's the deal there?
2: that That's the mystery.
4: Shakespeare scholar Jim Shapiro.
2: I mean, why choose these plays and call them canonical? Why we would take the national poet of a country we broke with? Uh, and (laughs) what I think is that these plays allow us, we're not good at talking to each other in this country. We're probably as bad as any country at talking across a cultural divide. So we actually still talk through Shakespeare. Mm. Shakespeare gives us a very small piece of common ground. And there are precious few places like that left.
4: Huh. Um... I like that idea of talking through these texts, that this is a sort of our, our medium. And Ayana takes this even further. She believes that how we stage these works can help us have conversations that are pretty delicate or hard to broach outside of the work. Take this production with Richard II, played by Andre Holland, and his successor, Bolingbroke, played by actress Miriam A. Hyman.
3: What does it mean to have a Black man who is deemed unfit to rule? And what does it mean to have a Black woman take his place? That's part of our American history. That's something that we don't... And that's also a dialogue that happens in the Black community, but does not necessarily happen in interracial spaces.
4: Yeah, that's definitely a sort of... um As they say, not in mixed company conversation. That's
3: exactly right. That's exactly (laughs) right. Yep.
4: So let's catch up.
5: Last night on Richard II.
4: To do that office of thine own
1: goodwill, which tired majesty did make thee offer, the resignation of thy state and crown to Henry Bolingbroke.
6: Are you contented to resign the crown?
1: I...
0: No, no, I, for I must nothing be. Therefore, no, no, for I resign to thee.
6: On Wednesday next, we solemnly set down our coronation.
4: So back to episode four. At the start, we're with the queen who's waiting for Richard to be taken to prison. Here's Ayana Thompson again.
3: And they have one of the most heartbreaking goodbye scenes that you could uh, ever imagine. And this is something that would have been inconceivable at the beginning of the play because he's a different character then. He's, you know, at the top and hasn't fallen yet.
4: It's only after Richard's imprisoned and no longer king that he starts to show some humanity. And at the same time, King Henry Bolingbroke realizes that governing's harder than he'd ever imagined, and it comes at this incredible cost. Professor Jim Shapiro.
2: There is a shift in this play uh, from one notion of how power works to another notion of how power works. And uh, Bolingbroke is much more effective, it seems, at gaining power and stealing power. But he too knows that once you change a political system in a fundamental way there is going to be a series of instabilities that follow. We get this kind of moment
3: of rebellion, potential rebellion, where you think that Bolingbroke might be as vulnerable as Richard just was. But that's easily quelled. But then there's Exton, who thinks that he's been given orders to kill Richard in an offhand kind of way. And so he goes into the prison, and Richard fights. Yeah. Like, Here's this guy who's been, like, weak and ineffectual and, you know, just heart, like, ripped away from title, queen, everything, a sense of self. And at the last moment, he puts up, like, a good fight. (laughs) And I think the play ends with us, the audience, feeling as if maybe Richard was right. And even though we want Bolingbroke to rule us, that in fact a crime, a deep crime, has been committed and that there will be implications for English history because
4: of that. And those implications, as we know, go well beyond English history. We started off on Monday asking, why do this play? Why now? And the answer is because it speaks to something that is always happening, namely change. And the warning from Shakespeare, the the bit of wisdom that we start to sense, is that, yes, change is possible. But it's always accompanied by consequences that we could never have foreseen and now our final episode of richard ii about the fallout of bolingbroke's ascent to the throne the actors and the public theater dedicate this production to the black lives matter movement
5: has been crowned King Henry the Richard, stripped of his title and power, is no longer king. The queen, who is also no longer queen, waits on the street. She's hoping to have a final moment with her fallen husband.
7: This way the king will come. This is the way to Julius Caesar's ill-erected tower, To whose flint bosom my condemned lord Is doomed a prisoner by proud Bolingbroke. But soft, but see, Or rather do not see, my fair rose wither. Yet look up, behold, that you in pity may dissolve to dew and wash him fresh again with true love tears.
8: Join not with grief, fair woman. Do not so, to make my end too sudden.
0: Hide thee to France, I cloister thee in some religious house. Our holy lives must win a new world's crown, which our profane hours here have thrown down.
7: What? Is my Richard both in shape and mind, transformed and weakened? Bolingbroke deposed thine intellect
0: Good, sometimes, queen Prepare the hints for France Think I am dead And that even here thou takest as from my deathbed Thy last living leave
9: My lord The mind of Bolingbroke is changed You must to Pomfret Not unto the tower And madam, there is order for you with all swift speed you must away to France. Northumberland, thou
8: ladder, wherewithal the mounting Bolingbroke ascends my throne. Thou shalt think, though he divide the realm and give thee half, it is too little, helping him to all. Ye shall think that thou, which knows the way to plant unrightful kings, will know it again being ne'er so little urged another way to pluck him headlong from the usurped throne.
9: Well, my guilt be on my head, and there an end. Take leave and part, for you must part forthwith.
0: Doubly divorced. Bad men, you violate a twofold marriage, twixt my crown and me, and then betwixt me and my married wife. My queen,
8: let me unkiss the oath twixt thee and me, and yet not so.
0: For with a kiss twas made.
7: And must we be divided? Must we part?
0: Aye,
9: hand from hand, my love, and heart from heart.
7: Banish us both and send the king with me.
9: Uh, that was some love, but little policy.
7: Then whither he goes, thither let me go.
0: So two together weeping make one woe.
8: Weep thou for me in France. I for thee here, go, count thy way with sighs, I mine with groans.
7: So longest way shall have the longest moans.
8: Twice for one step I'll groan, the way being short, and piece the way out with a heavy heart. One kiss shall stop our mouths and dumbly part. Thus give I mine, and thus take I thy heart.
7: Give me mine own again. For no good part to take on me to keep and kill thy heart. So now I have mine own again, begone. But I may strive to kill it with a groan.
8: We make war wanton with this fond delay. Once more adieu, the rest let sorrow say.
3: Jacob, Richard is out and Bolingbroke is in Major breaking news this hour. Richard II is stepping down.
5: The Duke and Duchess of York are at home, recounting the spectacle of Richard's downfall and King Henry's ascent to the throne
10: My Lord huh? My hmm? Lord You told me you would tell the rest when weeping made you break the story off of our two nephews coming into London. Where did I leave? At that sad stop, my lord, where rude, misgoverned Mm. hands from windows tops Mm. threw dust and Mm. rubbish on King
1: Richard's head. Ah, then, as I said, the Duke, great Bolingbroke, mounted upon a hot and fiery steed, which his aspiring riders seemed to know, with slow but stately pace kept on his course whilst all tongues cried. God save, me, God save me. You would have thought the very windows spake, so many greedy looks of young and old through casements darted their desiring eyes upon his visage, and that all the walls with painted imagery had said at once, yes. Whilst he, from the one side to the other turning, bespake them thus.
6: I thank you, country.
1: And thus still doing, thus he passed along. Alack, poor Richard. Mm.
10: Where rode Mm. he the whilst?
1: As in a theatre, the eyes of men after a well-graced actor leaves the stage, are idly bent on him that enters next, thinking his prattle to be tedious. Even so, or with much more contempt, men's eyes did scowl on gentle Richard. No man cried, God save him. No joyful tongue gave him his welcome home, but dust was thrown upon his sacred head which with such gentle sorrow he shook off, his face still combating with tears and smiles, the badges of his grief and patience. But heaven hath a hand in these events, to whose high will we bound our calm contents. To Bolingbroke are we sworn subjects now, whose state and honor eye for eye allow. Here comes my son, Omuro. Uh, I am in Parliament pledged for his truth and lasting fealty to the new-made king.
10: Welcome, my son. Ah. Mwah. Ah. Mwah. Who
11: are the violet cell that strew the green lap of the new-come spring? Oh, madam, I know not, nor I greatly care not. Oh. God knows I had as leaf be
1: none as one. Well, bear you well in this new spring of time, lest you be cropped before you come to prime. What seal is that that hangs without thy bosom? Yea, looks thou pale. Let me see the writing. <laughs> My lord, tis nothing. No matter then who see it, I will be satisfied. Let me see the writing. I do beseech your grace to pardon me.
11: It is a matter of small consequence which, for some reasons, I would not have seen. Which, for some reason, sir, I mean to see. I fear.
10: I fear. what did you fear? Tis nothing but some bond that he's entered into
11: for gay apparel against the Triumph
1: Day. Bound to himself? Wife, thou art a fool.
11: boy. Let me see the writing. I do beseech you, pardon me. I may not show it. I will be satisfied. Let me see it, I say. Ah. Uh.
1: Treason. Foul treason. Villain, traitor, slave. What is the matter, my lord? Oh, God, for his mercy, what treachery is here? Why, what my lord? Give me my boots. Saddle my horse. Now by mine honor, by my life, by my troth, I will denounce the villain. What is the matter? Ah, peace, foolish
11: woman. I will not peace. What is the matter, O Merle? Good mother, be content. It is no more than my poor life must answer.
10: Thy life answer? Bring me my boots. I will unto the king. Why, York, what wilt thou do? Wilt thou not hide the trespass of thine own? What hide? Have we more sons, or are we like to have? And wilt thou pluck my fair son from mine age and rob me of a happy mother's name? Is he not like thee? Is he not
1: thine own? Thou fond mad woman, wilt thou conceal this dark conspiracy? A dozen of them have here taken the sacrament and interchangeably set down their hands to kill the king at Oxford.
10: He shall be none. We'll keep uh, him here. Then what is that to him?
1: Away, fond woman! Were he twenty times, my son, I would denounce him. Hadst thou groaned for him
10: as I have done, thou wouldst be more pitiful. But now I know thy mind. Thou dost suspect that I have been disloyal to thy bed, and that he is a bastard, not thy son. Sweet York, sweet husband, be not of that mind. He is as like thee as a man may be, not like to me or any of my kin, and yet I love him. Make way, unruly woman. Oh, Oh. Uh. After a Merle spur post yet before him to the king and beg thy pardon ere he do accuse thee, I'll not be long behind, and never will I rise up from the ground till Bowling Brook have pardoned thee. Away
5: be gone. The throne room. King Henry, oblivious to the plot brewing against him, pines for his son. Can no man tell me of my
6: unthrifty son? Tis full three months since I did see him last. If any plague hang over us, tis he. I would to God, my lords, he might be found. Inquire at London, amongst the
8: taverns there. My lord, some two days since I saw the prince and told him of those triumphs held at Oxford.
6: And what said the gallant?
8: His answer was he would unto the stews and from the commonest creature pluck
0: a glove and wear it as a favor. And with that he would unhorse the lustiest challenger. As dissolute as desperate.
6: But who comes here? Where is the king? What means
11: our cousin that he stares and looks so wildly? Oh, God save your grace. I do beseech your majesty to have some conference with your grace alone. Withdraw yourselves and leave us here alone.
6: What is the matter with our cousin now?
11: hmm? Oh, forever may my knees grow to the earth. My tongue cleave to my roof within my mouth unless a pardon ere I rise or speak. Intended or committed was this fault?
6: If on the first, how heinous e'er it be to win thy after-love, I pardon thee.
11: Then give me leave that I may turn the key, that no man enter till my tale be done. Have thy desire.
1: My liege, beware! Look to thyself! Thou hast the traitor in thy presence there. Villain, I'll make thee safe. Oh, stay thy revengeful
11: hand, thou hast no cause to fear.
1: Open the door. Secure, foolhardy king. Shall I for love speak treason to thy face? Open the door, or I will break it open.
6: What is the matter, uncle? Speak. Recover breath. Tell us how near is danger that we may arm us to encounter
1: it. Oh, peruse this writing here, and thou shalt know the treason that my haste forbids me show. Remember as thou readst thy promise
11: past, I do repent me. Read not my name there. My heart is not
1: confederate with my hand. It was, villain! Ere thy hand did set it down. I tore it from the traitor's bosom, king. Fear and not love begets his penitence. Forget to pity him, lest he pity-prove a serpent that will sting thee to the heart.
6: Oh, heinous, strong, and bold conspiracy! Oh, loyal father of a treacherous son! Thy overflow of good converts to bad, and thy abundant goodness
1: shall excuse this deadly blot in thy digressing son. Mine honor lives when his dishonor dies or my shamed life in his dishonor lies.
10: What ho, oh, my liege?
6: For God's sake, let me in! What shrill voice
10: suppliant makes this
6: eager cry? A
10: woman and my aunt, great uh, king! Tis I, speak with me, pity me, open the door. A beggar begs that never begged before.
6: Our scene is altered from a serious thing, and now changed to The Beggar and the King. My dangerous cousin, let your mother in. I know she has come to pray for your foul sin. If thou do pardon, whosoever
1: pray, more sins for this forgiveness, prosper may.
10: O king, believe not this hard-hearted man, love loving not itself, none other can. Thou
1: frantic woman, what dost thou make here? Shall thy old dugs once more a traitor rear? Sweet George, be patient. Oh! Hear me,
10: gentle liege. Oh. Oh. Rise
6: up, good aunt.
10: <laughs> oh. Not yet, <laughs> I thee beseech. <laughs> Forever will I walk upon my knees, and never see day that the happy sees, till thou give joy, until thou bid me joy, by pardoning my son, my transgressing boy.
11: Unto <laughs> my mother's prayers I bend my knee. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Against them both my true joints bended be. Ill mayst thou thrive, if thou grant any grace.
10: Pleads he in earnest, look upon his face. His eyes do drop no tears, his prayers are in jest. His words come from his mouth, ours from our breast. He prays but faintly and would be denied. We pray with heart and soul and all beside. I say, good aunt, stand up. Nay, do not say stand up. Pardon should be the first word of thy speech I never longed to hear a word till now Say pardon, king, let pity teach thee how The word is short, but not so short as sweet No word like pardon for king's mouths so meek
1: Speak it in French, king, say pardonnez moi Speak
10: pardon as tis current in our land the chopping French we do not understand. Thine eye begins to speak. Set thy tongue there. Good aunt, stand up. Oh, I do not suit to stand. Pardon is all the suit I have in hand.
6: Oh, I pardon him as God shall pardon me.
10: Oh, happy vantage of a kneeling knee. Yet am I sick for fear. Speak it again. Twice saying pardon doth not pardon twain, but makes one pardon strong. I pardon him with all my heart. A god on earth thou
6: art. Good aunt, cousin, uncle, stand up. But for our trusty brother-in-law and the abbot, with all the rest of that consorted crew, Destruction straight shall dog them at the heels. Good uncle. My lord. Help to order several powers to Oxford, or where these traitors are. Mm-hmm. They shall not live within this world, I swear. But I will have them if I once know where. Uncle, farewell. And so, cousin, adieu. Your mother well hath prayed and prove you true.
10: Come, my old son. I pray God make thee new.
4: You're listening to Free Shakespeare on the Radio from WNYC in collaboration with The Public Theater. Richard II will be back in a moment. I'm Vincent Cunningham. You're listening to Free Shakespeare on the Radio from WNYC in collaboration with The Public Theater. We return now to Richard II.
5: We're outside the throne room now. A knight of the court named Exton believes King Henry has asked him to carry out the murder of Richard. He pulls a servant aside. Huh? Syrah? Huh?
0: Come hither. Didst thou not mark the king what words he spake? Have I no friend will rid me of this living fear? Was it not so? Uh, These were his
6: very words. Have I no friend, quoth he. He spake it twice and urged it twice together, did he not? Mm Mm-hmm, he did. And speaking it. He wistly looked on me as who should say, I would thou wert the man that would divorce this terror from my heart. Meaning King Richard at Pomfret. Mm hmm.
0: Come, let's go. I am King Henry's friend and will rid his foe.
8: I have been studying how I may compare this prison where I live unto the world. And for because the world is
0: populous,
8: and here is not a creature but myself, I,
0: I cannot do it, yet I'll hammer it out.
8: My brain I'll prove the female to my soul, my soul the father. And these two beget a generation of still-breeding thoughts. And these same thoughts people this little world, inhumorous like the people of this world, for no thought is contented. The better sort, as thoughts of things divine, are intermixed with scruples and to set the word itself against the word, as thus. Come, little ones, and then again, it is as hard to come as for a camel to thread the postern of a small needle's eye. <laughs> uh,
0: Thoughts tending to ambition, they do plot
8: unlikely wonders. How these vain, weak nails may tear a
0: passage through the flinty ribs of this hard world by ragged prison walls, and for they cannot die in their own pride. Thus play I, in one person, many people, and none contented. Sometimes am I king, then treasons make me wish myself a beggar, and so I am. Then
8: crushing penury persuades me, hmm, I was better when a king then am I kinged again, and by and by I think I'm unkinged, by bowling and broken straight I'm nothing. But whate'er I be, nor I, nor, nor, nor any man, that but man is, with nothing shall be
0: pleased, till he be eased with being nothing. Music. Do I hear...
8: How sour sweet music is when time is broken No proportion kept, so is it In the music of men's lives And here have I the daintiness of ear to check Time broke in a disordered
0: string But for the concord of my state in time Had not an ear to hear my true time broke I wasted time, and not a time waste me for now time made me his numbering clock. My thoughts are minutes, and with sighs they jar their watches on unto mine eyes. The outward watch where, where to my finger, like a dial's point, is pointing still and cleansing them from tears. Now, sir, the sounds that tells what hour it is are clamorous groans which strike upon my heart, which is the bell so, so sighs and tears and Groans, shows, minutes, times, and hours, but my time! It it runs posting on in Bolingbroke's proud joy while I stand fooling here his jack-of-the-clock. This music mads me! Let it sound no more! For though it have hoped madmen to their wits in me, it seems it will make wise men mad yet blessing on his heart that gives it me, for 'tis a sign of love. And love to Richard is a strange brooch in this all-hating world.
5: The groom who tended Richard's horses enters the prison.
6: Hail, royal prince.
0: Thanks, noble peer. What art thou? And how comest thou hither where no man never comes but that sad dog that brings me food to make misfortune live?
10: I was a poor groom of thy stable, king, when thou wert king, who, travelling towards York, with much ado at length, have gotten leave to look upon my sometime royal master's face. Oh, how it earned my heart when I beheld in London streets that coronation day when Bolingbroke rode on Roan Barbary, that horse that thou so often hast bestrid that horse that I so carefully have dressed.
8: Rode he on Barbary? Tell me, gentle friend, how went he under him?
10: So proudly, as if he disdained the ground.
8: So proud that Bolingbroke was on his back.
0: That jade had he bred from my royal hand, this hand hath made him proud with clapping him, would he not stumble, would he not fall down, since pride must have a fall and break the neck of that proud man that did usurp his back?
8: Oh, Oh, forgiveness horse, why do I rail on thee? Since thou created to be awed by man, wast born to bear, I was not made a horse, and yet I bear a burden like an ass, spurred, galled, and tired by Johnson Bolingbroke,
5: The prison's keeper enters with a meal.
9: Fellow, give place. Here is no longer stay.
0: If thou love me, tis time thou wert away.
11: What my tongue cares not,
9: that my heart shall say. My lord, wilt please you to fall too? <laughs> Taste of it first.
8: As thou what want to do? My
9: lord, I dare not. Sir Pierce of Exton, who lately came from the king, commands the contrary. Uh,
0: the devil take Henry Bolingbroke and thee. Uh, patience is stale, and I am weary of it. Uh, he says, help! 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 Oh! How now? What means death in this rude assault? Filling thy own hand yields thy death's instrument. Go thou and fill another room in hell. That hand shall burn in never quenching fire that staggers thus my person. Exton, thy fierce hand has with the king's blood stained the king's own land. Mount, mount, my soul. Thy seat is up on high. Whilst my gross flesh sinks downward here. valor as of royal blood both have I spelt oh would the deed were good for now the devil that told me I did well says that this deed is chronicled in hell this dead king to the living king I'll bear take hence the rest
9: and give them burial here
5: Henry is in the throne room, anticipating news of the rebellion against him.
6: Kind Uncle York. My lord. The latest news we hear is that the rebels have consumed with fire a town in Gloucestershire. hmm. But whether they be tain or slain, we hear not.
9: My lord Northumberland, what is the news? First to thy sacred state, wish I all happiness. The next news is, I here deliver Oxford, Salisbury, Spencer, Blunt, and Kent. The manner of their taking may appear at large discoursed in this paper here.
6: We thank thee, gentle Northumberland, for thy pains, and to thy worth, We'll add right-worthy
8: gains. My lord, I here deliver those dangerous, consorted traitors that sought at Oxford thy dire overthrow.
6: Thy pains, Fitzwater, shall not be forgot. Right noble is thy merit. Young Hotspur.
8: The Grand Conspirator, Abbot of Westminster, With clog of
0: conscience and sour melancholy hath yielded up his body to the grave. But here's Carlisle living to abide thy kingly doom and sentence of his pride.
6: Carlisle.
0: My liege.
6: This is your doom. Choose out some secret place, some reverend room, more than thou hast, and with it joy thy life. So as thou livest in peace, die free from strife. For though mine enemy thou hast ever been, high sparks of honor in thee have I seen.
0: Great king, I here present thy buried fear. Herein all breathless lies the mightiest of thy greatest enemies, Richard of Bordeaux, by me hither brought. I thank thee not,
6: for thou hast wrought a deed of slander with thy fatal hand upon my head and all this famous land. From your own mouth, my lord, I did this deed. They love not poison that do poison need, nor do I thee. Though I did wish him dead, I hate the murderer, love him murdered. The guilt of conscience take thou for thy labor, but neither my good word nor princely favor. With Cain go wander through shades of night, and never show thy head by day nor light. Lords, I protest my soul is full of woe, that blood should sprinkle me to make me grow. Come, mourn with me for what I do lament, and put on sullen black incontinent. I'll make a voyage to the Holy Land to wash this blood off from my guilty hand. March sadly after. Grace my mornings here in weeping after this untimely beer.
5: Bolingbroke follows the body. Our story began with the mystery of Gloucester's murder. God was expected to intervene. Now Richard lays dead. Has justice been served?
4: That was the fourth and final episode of Richard II. Andre Holland played the title role. He's been thinking about this part for years. He's known for his work in films like Moonlight and Selma and appears now in the Netflix series, The Eddie. But some of his earliest exposure to acting and what it meant to work in the theater at all came from Shakespeare.
8: It felt, it was often presented as this thing that you had to, you know, quote unquote, elevate yourself to. People (laughs) would say that in school, you know, you have to elevate yourself to meet the language. And I always found it to be kind of problematic. <laughs> it probably wasn't until like my senior year of college. I, uh, one day I, I was home um, from school and in the art section of the Birmingham News on mm-hmm. the cover of the arts you know page, there was a photograph of a, of a black man with long dreads holding um, a skull, Yorick's skull. Mm-hmm. And it said underneath it, Adrian Lester starring in Hamlet at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. And I think prior to that, I had, I had never imagined that a black person could play the title role in a play like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, we, we had done Hamlet and I was Horatio, but I just had somehow like accepted that, um, those characters, the title characters, you know, were meant for other people. Uh, and so. Uh, my mother and my father put a little money together and rented me a car, and, and uh, it was closing the following day. So I left that next morning, drove to Chicago, and uh, sat in line in the theater waiting mm-hmm. for a, you know a cancellation. Got the last ticket, and wow. Adrian Lester came out and started the to be or not to be speech, and and I sat there and wept like a baby because it just it, <laughs> it really it really moved me, man. I think it was a real turning point. Wow. Yeah. So um, to answer your question, I guess yeah, there's, it's been a long process of me. Um, coming to believe that like, I can have ownership over uh, any of the parts in Shakespeare in the same way that that uh, other people have.
4: Right. When did you come to Richard II? What was the first time you read it? And what were your kind of first impressions of this play?
8: I think the first time I read it was um, probably right after graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a workshop of it with a group called the Shakespeare Society. and. I was just blown away by the language. Um it's, amazing. it's incredible, man. I think in all of the for me it's, it's Shakespeare at his best. You know, those speeches with the, that he that he gives Richard to say
4: yeah.
8: are profoundly beautiful. So that was my first contact with the play. And I think that last speech in the play, um, in the prison act five, where you, yeah, I've been studying how I may compare this prison where I live onto the world, that speech has has, has really moved me and I learned it, you know, during that workshop and sometimes just walking down the street will just say it, you know, to myself. Hmm. And, and, uh, and it's not until the end of the play that he finds the time to be alone, to really sit with himself and reflect. And in doing so, he comes to understand that he is a human being. And we, before your eyes, you see a person become a person, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I always find it. I just find the speech to be deeply moving.
4: Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear how your approach to this, something that you've been waiting to perform, and obviously thinking about it in terms of bodies and things to see and audiences in seats, what was your first thought when thinking, okay, we're going to do this in audio instead of on a stage?
8: Well, the first thought was, so... (laughs) I've always had a little bit of a resistance to the play. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because um, for me as a black actor playing this part, I was concerned that me presenting a man who essentially is an ineffectual leader who gets um, overthrown by a much more popular young man, right? Mm -hmm. I was concerned that um, if the casting of the play, you know, for example, if the Bolingbroke character, the character who ends up taking over at the end is uh, a white man, that it might not look good. So by um, casting a, an African-American woman to play Bolingbroke, I think adds a layer of, of uh, intrigue to the play and kind of shields that. But of course, when we're doing it on the radio, uh, my first thought was, well, how are we going to translate that? Or is that, is that something that we even need to be concerned about now? Yeah. You, you know what I mean?
4: Yeah, so you mentioned the sort of um, the difficulty of the dynamic between Richard and Bolingbroke and uh, how it then changed those dynamics for that person to be a Black woman, Miriam. How was it to work with her?
8: Playing with her, she comes to it so prepared. She doesn't do any of that, you know, fancy kind of highfalutin, you know, uh, yeah. language that some people are accustomed to hearing with Shakespeare. She just makes it her own. She puts it into her body. And, and I think because she played in that way It forced me and everybody else also to kind of uh, dig our heels in and uh, come correct, as they say. (laughs) Uh, So I think there was a bit of a kind of I won't say one-upmanship, but there was like a healthy kind of competition between the two of us. I would say Uh, because I think my worry was that um, there's a way of doing the play in which you know if you have a black Richard and a white Bolingbroke that it could be you could be seen to be telling the story that black people can't lead or that there's a problem with black leadership and that only mm-hmm. it takes a, a a white man to come back in and, and restore order. Um, I think when we inhabit these parts, we have to always be cognizant of like the moment that we're in and like the stories that we're we're telling on top of the story itself. But when Miriam came in and, and, and smashed it, like that was out the window. It then was just about the, the play, you know, and these two people who were, um, fighting for what they believe in, essentially.
4: The other stuff you're talking about, you know, the perception that casting creates, that just seems to me so, in some ways, like a double duty, right? That you're not just doing the play, you're thinking about the story that your presence is telling. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you could call it a burden, you could call it a duty, you could call it just another intellectual challenge, but how does that live in your mind? Man, (laughs) that's
8: a a deep question, bro. I've been—I mean—I've thought about this a lot over the years, and have gone through—I think—every version of it. I feel like there were times when I felt like it was a burden, because I felt like, well, I just want to be able to do the play and, um, you know, just do my work as an actor, right? Um, But I think now what I feel is that it really is a—it really is a privilege, you know. I've come to the point in my life where I'm really embracing my um, responsibility as an artist because it is a responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just, it's different, man, it's not just about, I wanna be good and do this part because I like the part. No, like it, me getting on that stage and you know, whatever play I'm in is a statement. It means something to somebody, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I wanna really take care of that. I think, you know, I remember when I was in school, man, I I, I would look at these plays like Hamlet, like Shakespeare, for example, right? There would be, If you're going to do Hamlet, if you're going to have somebody black and it's going to be Horatio, Mm -hmm. maybe Laertes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Maybe One of those, maybe. If you're going to do Romeo and Juliet, you're going to have Mercutio, probably could be black. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Not Romeo, but Mercutio, (laughs) you know, and on and on and on. Cherry Orchard, you know, Lepakin, he's often played Mm -hmm. black man, you know, the guy who comes back for his his land and his inheritance because his father was a, you know, a servant. There were just these, you know, or Aaron the Moor or, you know, Othello. Or there were just these kind of like characters that I think, like myself and other black actors I know, just sort of accepted, like, okay, well, these are the ones that are, are going to be available to us. I remember when I was in, in college and, and uh, even in grad school, when people would say, Oh, you, you're interested in, interested in Shakespeare, the first thing they'd say is, Oh, you, you know, Othello, you know, have you played Othello? And, <laughs> And for that reason, for a long time, I, I was like, man, I ain't never gonna touch Othello. I don't wanna, because just because everybody thinks that that's the only thing we can do, I'm not right. gonna do it. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think I, I accepted that for a long time as being true, mm-hmm. but that's over, man. Like that's, that's all that's changed now. Um, sometimes, right? The way that acting is taught in schools You know, you do your research about the world of the play, you figure out what the characters' motivations are, what the obstacles are, you know, what the things they're doing to move their life forward, all these things, right? But at a certain point, I've always found as a black actor, if I'm playing, if I'm the only black actor in uh, the Cherry Orchard, right? Or in whatever, an Ibsen play, at a certain point, I come to the place where I go, well, you know, what is the world of this play? Cherry Orchard takes place in Russia. So, are we, <laughs> um, <laughs> how does this make sense, right? Conventional wisdom and the acting teachers will say, well, it's just a, it's a play. And so nobody is going to see your color. Nobody cares. It's just, we're all just actors inhabiting this play. of course. Except of course. that after the play, all these people will come up to me and say, pull me in a corner and say, oh, you did a really nice job, but you know, there weren't really black people in Russia at that time. Oh, it's so nice that they gave you this part, that they cast you in this part. It's really, you know, I mean, we know it's not really accurate, but little things- You sound like like you've had hundreds of these guys. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things, you know? And at the same time, like we're American actors doing a Russian play, but for some reason, nobody ever questions the fact that these are American actors speaking English and like their accents from, some from Minnesota, some from New York, (laughs) some from Alabama. Nobody questions that, but like- when the black dude's in the play, that's the thing that everybody sees. And yet we act like we don't see it when we want to, you know what I mean? <laughs> when, right. we, when it comes to talking about it. So, I mean, I suppose it's like what it means to be black in America, right? Like you're always aware of where you fit in any particular room. And um, mm-hmm. and you can either see that as a burden or you can see it as like a superpower. And I just, I choose to see it as a, as a superpower.
4: This production of Richard II is a collaboration between WNYC and the Public Theater. The play was written by William Shakespeare and conceived for the radio and directed by Sahim Ali. Original music was composed by Michael Thurber, mixing and sound design by Isaac Jones. Raz Golden was the assistant director and script supervisor. Arabella Powell was production stage manager. Executive producers Emily Botine, Matt Collett, Elliot Forrest, and Sarah Sandback, with additional engineering by Ed Haber. Jared Paul, Joe Plord, George Wellington, and Trent Williamson. Our cast Barzan Akavan as Salisbury and the Marshal, Sean Carvajal as the Gardener's Man and Surrey, Michael Bradley Cohen as Bushy, Sanjit De Silva as Mowbray and Exton, Biko Eisen Martin as Fitzwater, Michael Gaston as Northumberland, Stephen McKinley Henderson as the Gardener, Andre Holland as Richard, Miriam A. Hyman as Bolingbroke, Merritt Jansen as Scroop. Elijah Jones as Hotspur Dakin Matthews as Gaunt Jacob Ming Trent as Carlisle Maria Makuka as the Queen's Lady and a Servant Akwi Akpakwasili as Willoughby and the Abbot Estelle Parsons as the Duchess of York Tom Pasinka as Omerle, Felicia Rashad as the Duchess of Gloucester Reza Salazar as the Welsh Captain Tom Sesma as Ross and the Keeper Sathya Sridharan as Bagot John Douglas Thompson as York, Claire Vanderboom as the Queen, Natalie Williams torres as Green, and Josiah Young as the groom. The play was narrated by Lupita Nyong'o. Additional commentary and analysis by James Shapiro and Ayana Thompson. The Lewester T. Mertz Charitable Trust provides leadership support for the public theater's year-round activities. Mount Sinai Health System is our production sponsor. And head to wnyc.org Shakespeare for more about the play. That's where you'll find the script, a full list of credits. Plus, you can download the podcast of Richard II to share or listen again. I'm Vincent Cunningham. Thank you for listening.